uh, today the omega apostasy or the omega of apostasy. Uh, basically, uh, we will be talking about different heresies that are coming into the church that we should not be surprised of because uh, it was mentioned in the prophecy that it should happen. And uh, of course, we cannot discuss all of them. I don't think it's wise to discuss all of them, but we can see uh, some of them and identify some principles to help us to uh, know how to react uh, facing this reality. So I'll ask you to uh, bow your heads with me for a quick word of prayer, then we will start our study. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word and for everything that uh, you have re revealed to us so that uh, we would not be surprised in any way by the tricks of the devil. Uh, we know that uh, his objective is to distract the church from the mission. So whatever he brings on our path, let us identify in your word um, what is the truth and how we, we are to uh, operate so that we stay focused on this mission of proclaim, proclaiming the three angels' messages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the Omega Apostasy, or the Omega of Apostasy. In uh, the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So we should not be surprised to uh, see heresy in the church because the Bible said that it will happen. We can also see in the book Selected Messages, book one, page 197, uh, be not deceived, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. So he's, she's taking from the, the same Bible text. Uh, and doctrine of devils. We have now before us the alpha of this danger, and the omega will be of a more startling nature. So she's talking about the omega of, of apostasy, and uh, today our study is the, is, she's talking about alpha and the omega, our study is, is on the omega today, but uh, if, just in case you're wondering what is the alpha of apostasy, it's just the heresies that came into the church or that the church had to face in the beginning of the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So uh, this uh, ended with the period of uh, Kellogg, Dr. Kellogg, uh, with his pantheism, so this was the alpha of uh, apostasy. But now that we are uh, further in time, that we are closer to the second coming of Jesus, we are experiencing right now the omega of, of apostasy. But of course, it has not reached its climax yet. Yet we have more to see, but uh, just to help you make the difference between the, between the two. Also, Selected Messages, book one, page 122. It says, we have far more to fear from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. So according to this, uh, what will bring the, the biggest challenge in the church will come from, from within and not from without, concerning the heresies. The alpha apostasy that I was talking to you at the beginning uh, ended with John Harvey Kellogg's with his pantheism, he was seeing God everywhere. He was a very uh, talented man. Uh, in fact, in his day, he was the most brilliant doctor on the planet. And uh, the lesson we can, we can uh, see from this, this character experience is that no matter how brilliant you are, it does not prevent you from being deceived. It's not a matter of being intelligent or being smart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of accepting the word of God. Um, there are different types, or I can say different topics, that can bring apostasy in the church. Not that uh, they are apostasy all in themselves, I will explain to you, but they can bring us there. Okay, So we will see some of them right now. Types of apostasy. I wish you could see uh, better the screen, but it's types of apostasy or topics that you can see on the altar right or on the altar left of the church. 
The first one is the most obvious. Everyone, everyone has to deal with that. I don't know if you uh, had some Bible studies with some people that are not Adventist. At some point, they will ask you, who is Ellen White? And uh, when they come and ask you this question, most of the time they already went on internet and see some website that are saying that Ellen White is a false prophet and that the whole Adventist church is based on Ellen White. We know that that's not the truth, but some people believe that. So the integrity of Ellen White writings is one of the subjects that can bring apostasy into the church. She says in the book Last Day Events, page 177, the very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. So this is the last deception. Spirit of God, testimony of Spirit of God, or the spirit of prophecy, we can see also here the writings of Ellen White, to make them of none effect. Meaning that they are not necessarily saying that it's the devil, that she was inspired by the devil, but uh, they're just seeing it as you no know, good devotional books, but not necessarily books that have authority on how we should act, on how we should read and study the Bible. Okay? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the, confid the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. So that's the very last deception. But there are others deception that are coming. Uh, for example, is the Seventh-day Adventist church the remnant church? This is a logo for the coming uh, uh, GC uh, next year. We have a church that is organized, but uh, is this organization, uh, when it says that it's the remnant church, is it the, tr the, tr the truth or not? Or are we just a church on the landscape of many other churches, but not necessarily the remnant church of God? And when doubts are put in, our, in people's mind concerning uh, the mission of the Adventist church, and they don't believe anymore that it's the remnant church, they can choose to go and choose another movement that is more, more convenient to what pleases them. I think the main point that brings many people to doubt that the Seventh-day Adventist church is the remnant church, I think, is this point, the 2,200 days prophecy. Many people that I met, and some of them even brought me in the church because I was a Muslim before, and at some point, they started doubting this 2,300-day prophecy. This was in Europe. I came to Canada, discussed with other people, same thing, problem with this prophecy. Did Jesus really enter the most holy place in AD, AD 44? Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what's going on in these people's mind to come to doubt this prophecy. But I think the devil is leading, is leading there for this reason, because this is the basis of all our, all our doctrines. So if you throw out this prophecy, the Seventh-day Adventist church is no longer the remnant church. It's no longer the church for the end time. So I think this is why the devil is putting this kind of thought in, people, in people's minds. And they started doubting, are we really the remnant church? Another one is uh, the Trinity. Some argue that uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church at the beginning did not teach that the Holy Spirit was a person. So why are we teaching now that the Holy Spirit is a person? So they argue, they bring that argument, and uh, they present a, a view of the Trinity completely different to the one that is adopted by the church, generally speaking. Another one that I had to face many times keeping the Jewish feast. Should we keep the Jewish feast? Um, a few years ago, I had a friend of mine. We were working in campus ministries, doing some Bible study, doing some presentations, and it started very well. We are mainly three involved in this ministry. But at some point, one of the, the three, our small group, started bringing some strange doctrinal points, and one of which was we should keep the feast of Israel. We should keep the Jewish feast. 
we have neg neglected these teachings in the Bible, so we should go back to this teaching. At the beginning, I was not sure what was happening. I thought it was just, you know, uh, it would pass. He, 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 ju he, he just wanted to study the feast. But no, he was really persistent. And uh, believe me or not, this point and the previous we have seen brought that person to leave the church. So it was a serious matter. It's not uh, today a study on the Jewish feast, but just to show you quickly, the feast, uh, so I went and I studied it a little bit to, uh, because I never studied the subject before he came to me uh, with, <laughs> with that. But uh, that's how we should see the type and antitype of the Jewish feast uh, in the Bible. So the, we have seven feasts, right? So the first one is the Passover, which is taking place on the 14th of Nisan. This, uh, the type, the antitype is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So that's what, what the first feast represents, okay? The second feast, the 11th bread, which takes place on the 15th of Nisan, is, represents Christ in the grave. Uh, the third feast, which is the first fruits on the 16th of Nisan, represents the resurrection. Then we have the Feast of Weeks, which takes place on the 6th of Sivan, represents the Pentecost. We have the Feast of the Trumpet on the 1st of Tishri, which represents the Second Advent Movement. We have the Atonement, which takes place on the 10th of Tishri, which, which represents the pre-Advent Judgment. And finally, we have the Feast of Tabernacle, which is the home going at the second coming. So this, you can see all the feasts on, the, this, uh, on this slide right now. So by looking at this, which one did not happen yet? Obviously, the last one, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, because it's, uh, it's represented by the second coming of Jesus. So what should we do to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, while we are waiting for the second coming. Okay? I think each time we gather together, we have camp meetings, we are, we are in, in a kind of Feast of Tabernacles, waiting for the second coming. Otherwise, I don't think, because you see the type and anti-type that we don't have to keep the Jewish feast. Anyway, it was not a study on the feast, but just quick, to quickly show you. Okay? Another interesting one, uh, contemplative uh, spirituality or contemplative prayer. People, um, the, what the word meant at the beginning is not what it means today. For example, uh, when you say meditation, the Bible asks us to meditate on the word, right? But other people use the same word meditation, but they have something completely different in mind. By meditation, they, they are thinking emptying your mind from any thought, right? But in the Bible, to meditate means to fill your mind with the word of God and to, uh, and to uh, think about it, to make sure you understand it and, and it becomes part of you, right? So it's completely opposite, but the same word. So this uh, contemplative spirituality will encourages people to empty their minds to, uh, to, to reach a certain experience with God. For those kind of people, is this, the same, how can I say, the same goal as those who think that when you speak in tongues, that's when uh, you receive the Holy Spirit. They teach that when you enter in silence and you hear the word of God, the, the, the God speaking to you, that's where you receive the Holy Spirit. I had also an experience uh, with an ind individual concerning this. We had a small Bible study group uh, at a friend's house in Montreal a couple of years ago. Uh, we were studying the book of Daniel and Revelation. At the beginning, everything was doing well. But at a certain time, one member of the group used to come, and uh, he was telling us that he has special messages for each one of us. And he was, he was uh, telling, okay, I have a message for you. God told me that uh, you should read uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Why should I read Proverbs chapter 18? I I don't know, just God told me you have to read Proverbs chapter 18. So in the beginning, it was just like that. Not, it's not uh, something that can really amazing, right? God has a message for you. But then it reached another level. I remember I was 
reading in the bus the book, uh, 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 sorry, I have the name in French in my head, but first writing, first writings of Ellen White? Early writings, early writing thanks of Ellen White. So I was reading early writings, a specific chapter in the, in the bus. This evening, I had to meet that guy. Sorry, the, the, the following day, I had to meet that guy. And I met him, and uh, he told me uh, uh, he had a special message for me. And I got told, told him that I was studying this specific chapter the day before. I'm sure he was not in the bus. And many experiences like this took place. So he was able to tell us what we were doing when we are not, even if we were not in the same place. How does that happen? We know that the devil cannot read our minds, right? But the angels, I don't know, and also evil angels, I don't know how they do it, but they can put thoughts in our minds. I don't know how they do it, but they can do that, okay? So he can just observe me reading the chapter, and then he goes there and he puts this thought in this guy's mind, and he comes and tells me that God has a message for me, that I had to study that chapter that I was reading the day before. And it went like this, on and on, many messages, many uh, amazing messages, and finally, we found out that when we studied, that it was not in harmony with God's word, and uh, the group exploded. So we had another Bible study group, and uh, I had a long time to reconcile with that person. But by God's grace, we are reconciled now. <clears throat> uh, Martin Luther and Ignatius of Loyola are examples of people studying the Bible versus people uh, con practicing contemplative spirituality or contemplative prayer. Okay? Martin Luther was a, was a student of the Bible. This is why he came with his 95 theses and he uh, was a main character in the Protestant Reformation, right? But on the other side, we had uh, Ignatius of, of Loyola who founded the Jesuit Society. And he was not, uh, I cannot say that he was not studying the Bible, but he was much into this mystic experiences, and he had those experiences, and he developed uh, techniques, methods of prayers that uh, are today, today we inherited as contemplative spirituality. So we know one was a champion for God, and the other one was a champion for persecution against God's people. There's the subject of woman's ordination. Um, I won't share my, my, my point of view, or I'm, I'm, I may be sharing, or if I share, it was not on purpose, but <clears throat> I know that there's a lot of discussions going on concerning this issue of women's ordination. Maybe in itself, it's not a subject of apostasy, but, but I think that um, it can lead to it, because if we uh, adopt, for example, women's ordination, and we have no Bible support for that, then we can adopt other things that we have no Bible support for it as well. You know what I mean? And most of the churches who went through this process and ordained women in the ministry, uh, the next step, they were, you know, uh, accepting people that are, for example, homosexual as pastors. I don't think and I don't hope this will happen in a Seventh-day Adventist church, but the discussion is going on right now, and it's a very hot debate. Equal, but different. Another thing that is bringing apostasy is the confidence that we have in the book of Genesis, or we can say specifically in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Why? Because if we reject the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we, distract, we reject the basis of our faith. Because in those chapters are contained major events, one of which is creation. So if we think that creation has, did not happen in six literal days, what do we do with the Sabbath, for example? Because we have to keep the Sabbath because God created the world in six days and rested the seventh. But, he, but if God created the, the, the world in I don't know, five billion years, then how Sabbath should last how long? It makes no more sense. 
There's another specific event in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, which is the flood. If the flood is not true, what do we make? How do we interpret this, this, uh, those verses? Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. So if the flood is not true, what makes me think that Jesus will come back? I'm not sure anymore that Jesus will come back because he's making a parallel between the, between the two events. So if the first one, which is supposed to be the reference, is not true, why would, would I believe in the second one? Why would I believe in the Bible anyway? Because it's the basis of the Bible, right? But some people are pushing doubt in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. <coughs> Okay, now I want to uh, present you what I think that are elements that can bring personal apostasy. Because apostasy starts personally first, as revival starts personally first, right? So, different elements. First of all, not having victory of a sin. We keep asking questions, why do I keep making the same mistakes and I don't have victory of a sin? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25, it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight. So I fight I not as one that uh, beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And uh, also those verses in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. What I observe, and what you may have observed too, is that what brings to apostasy sometimes is that we just don't have victory over sin personally in our lives. So as it was shared in the meditation this morning, if you want to be honest, you either have to change the way you think or you have to change the reference, which is the Bible. So if you, change, if you don't want to change the way you think, you will change the reference, which is the Bible, because you don't have victory over sin. You don't experience this power that the Bible is talking about. And many people that bring heresy is that they cannot experience the Bible, so they cling to something that is wrong, a delusion, a lie, because that's only what they have. And they want to stay in the church for a reason that I cannot say. And they push this lie only because the source is really a personal struggle. Another interesting thing, uh, I think, is when we do not respect the authority of the established church in proclaiming a message, even if it is the truth. We have to respect the, respect the authority of the established church. There was uh, this, this event that uh, happened in 18... 18 uh, 58, uh, by uh, one of the pioneers called Stephen N. Haskell, uh, who, by studying the Bible, he uh, realized that uh, we should not eat uh, swine flesh, right? And uh, he started preaching this message that we should not eat swine flesh, which is, which is good, right? We, we know that we should not eat swine flesh. But the vision given to Ellen White for the health message uh, concerning this topic was only given in uh, 1863, so only five years later. So during this period, he was preaching that we should not eat swine flesh, and it was uh, a shock for many persons in the church back then. And Ellen White wrote to him something that is really interesting that we can find in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page uh, 206. It says, I saw 
that your views concerning swine's flesh would prove no injury if you have them to yourself. But in your judgment and opinion, you have made this question a test, and your actions have plainly shown your faith in this matter. So he was, he was preaching the truth, but he was not preaching it at the good time. Right? It has a problem of timing. He was pushing something that he believed was the truth, but he was not waiting for the authority of the church to support him in that. So I continue. If God requires his people to abstain from swine's flesh, he will convict them on the matter. He is just as willing to show his honest children their duty as to show their duty uh, to individuals upon whom he has not laid the burden of his work. If it is the duty of the church to abstain from swine's flesh, God will discover it uh, to more than two or three. He will teach his church their duty. God is leading out a people, not a few separate individuals here and there, one believing this thing, another that. Angels of God are doing the work committed to their trust. The third angel is leading out and purifying your people, and they should move uh, with him unitedly. So she's, she was saying that he was going too fast. Okay? And I, I took the note. This is a note. Uh, it's not from Ellen White, but it was a note uh, in the same section that I put apart so that you can see. It says that this remar remarkable testimony was written October 21, 1858, nearly five years before the great vision of 1863, in which the light upon uh, health, health reform was given. When the right time came, the subject was given in a matter to move all our people. How wonderful are the wisdom and goodness of God. It might be as wrong uh, to crowd milk, salt, and sugar question now as the poor question in 1858. So I took this example just to show you that sometimes you may be preaching the truth. But because God is leading our church, not just individuals, sometimes it's better to wait to have the support of the organized church to preach that truth. Otherwise, you can bring division into the church. So he was preaching, you should not eat swine flesh too soon because the angels were, uh, realized that people were not ready to follow this truth. So instead of convicting people to uh, depart from this uh, unclean meat, he was only bringing division into the church. So we should be wise when we preach, even if it is the truth. For example, uh, now I, said, I, I see that there are many uh, interpretations interpretation concerning uh, the chapter 11 of Daniel. Uh, I'm studying it myself, but uh, I don't see any clear, real explanation of the, the last verses of the chapter in the Seventh-day Adventist church. So when we preach it, we can preach it, but please make sure that we have study. I'm studying just what I share, but you're not bringing it as an absolute truth. Otherwise, you can divide the church. Wait for God to show to the whole community what is the truth. Okay? Um, focusing on conspiracy theories. This is one thing that can bring apostasy also. I realize that many people are really focusing, uh, studying all kinds of things concerning Freemasonry, Illuminatis, all these kind of things. Uh, this is what this is the conclusion I came to. By focusing on conspiracy theories, people are led to believe two things in particular. I notice the first one is that they believe, or you're led to believe, when you watch all those videos on YouTube uh, talking about uh, conspiracy theories. You're led to believe that every person in high position of leadership is a devil worshiper, like every person, like all the the presidents on the planet for sure are Freemason, to uh, 32nd degrees, right? Or you're led, led to believe that this world is totally controlled by Satan and not by God. And that's not healthy because it's like we cannot uh, reach a high position of leadership except we get the devil's help. But what about God's help? It, it seems like you're giving all the power to the enemy. And you start believing stuff that bring you to, can bring you to apostasy. So there are a few things that I want to show you in the Bible. That I was, when I was thinking about all these theories of uh, conspiracies, what can we see in the Bible to show that 
to, to break down, sorry, to, uh, to prove that every person in our position is not necessarily a worshiper of the devil. The first one is uh, Daniel, right? The character of Daniel. Says Daniel 2, chapter 48. Then uh, the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors of all the wise men of Babylon. This is when, when he was under the empire of Babylon. So he was the chief of all those wise men, which are described as astrologers, magicians, all kinds of things. He was the chief of them. Who put him there? Lucifer? God did, right? In Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king, uh, though, um, and the thing thought to set him over the whole realm. So the character of Daniel, we can also think about Moses who studied all the science of the Egyptians. Moses did not start to be a man of God when he went into the wilderness. He, was, he knew from the age of 12 what his mission will, his mission will be. He, if he had chosen not to uh, follow God's plan, he could, he could have been the next pharaoh. But who put him in this position of authority? Was it the devil? No, it was God himself. So uh, believing that every powerful person on the planet is a Luciferian, is really a heresy. Uh, another thing, another thing that I, I saw in the Bible, really interesting. Who has the control? You know, uh, people are telling sometimes that there's a few families, Jewish families, that are billionaires and have the control of the whole planet, and uh, some Illuminatis are with them and they control everything. But that's not what the Bible says. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and verse 16, he's talking about the beast, the second beast, okay? And he calls all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bound, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So according to this verse, no matter if you're great or rich, you're submitted to the beast, right? So you don't control everything. Verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell, save he, uh, sorry, say he, uh, that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of its name. Also, in the story of, of Joseph, I, th I think there's an interesting parallel there to help us understand what's going on. Do you remember... Uh, Joseph, he was sold as a slave by his brothers, right? And uh, he became uh, the man in power in Egypt. Became the man in power in, in Egypt. And uh, when he had that power, uh, his brothers came and they didn't, did not recognize him, right, as the new leader. So he was talking to his brother and this conversation was going on. How many brothers do you have? And they answer, we are all one man's sons. We are true men, thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, nay, but uh, to see uh, the nakedness uh, of the land, you are come. And they said, thy servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest uh, is this day with our father, and one is not. When they are saying one is not, who are they talking about? Yes, sorry, Joseph himself, okay? So there's one is not, because in, they are thinking he's dead, right? But Joseph was when he was alive with them. Now they think he's not, but then he, he came again, but now he's in position of authority, of power in Egypt. If you look in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, 
It's talking about the beast, which is the papacy here. It says, the beast that thou savest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. I find here an interesting parallel between the life of Joseph and uh, the beast of Revelation. The beast was, papacy before 1798, is not right now because the, the deadly wound has not been healed and will be. And when it will uh, come back, it will be in position of authority. The whole earth will wander after the beast. Joseph, same thing. He was when he was with his brother. He is not because they think he's dead. But then he came back, and when he came back, he was in position of authority in Egypt, and uh, all the world came to Joseph to have food, right? So when their brothers needed their food, they went to Joseph, and uh, they exchanged money for the food. After that, all the money of Egypt was controlled by Joseph. So people had to, s to sell their flocks, their animals, to Joseph. And he came, he came the, the time that he controlled even all the animals were the possession of Joseph. And then people had to, to uh, sell themselves as slaves to Joseph, right? So he became the master of all the money, all the animals, all the people. He was controlling everything. Okay? This is what happened in Joseph's time. And then what the Bible says, and Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians are sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, uh, so the land became Pharaoh's. So all the land be, uh, belongs to Joseph. But there's an exception. There are two exceptions. First exception, only the land of the priest, uh, but he not. For the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion, uh, <clears throat> which Pharaoh gave them. Wherefore, they sold not their lands. So he bought all the, the lands except the ones of the priest. And Joseph made it a law. So he made a law, okay, over the land of Egypt unto this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part. And uh, the other exception is for Israel. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country uh, of Gosen. Uh, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Okay, now I'm going to uh, explain all why, why do I bring this point. God leaded Joseph into this experience because he wanted to save his people, right? So Joseph became the master of everything. He was controlled of everything. There were two exceptions, the priests and God's people. Joseph is like... Uh, if you make a parallel, it's like the papacy at the end time, okay? They will become uh, next to the kings of this world and control everything on the planet. But there will be two exceptions. Those who have the mark of the beast, okay? And God's people, they will be protected by God himself. So the devil is only uh, making a counterfeit of what God did back then. He will do it at the time of the end. So I don't know why we are so amazed by what the devil does. He's only doing a counterfeit of what God already did a long, long time ago. Another point is a misinterpretation of the prophecies that can bring apostasy also. Um, okay, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat a duff or cranker, of whom he is a harmonious and philetious, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So these are two uh, characters, Hymenaeus and uh, Philetus, 
They're saying that who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overflow the faith of some. So these are persons who apostatize because they have received the truth first, but they are presenting something that is false concerning the resurrection. They think that the resurrection, they say that the, res the resurrection has already passed. They are not talking about Christ's resurrection, but they are talking about the resurrection of the dead at the time of the end, right? So we know that there will be a resurrection at the time of the end. But the problem here is that uh, their timing is wrong. They have the event right, there will be a resurrection, but the timing is wrong. They think that the resurrection has already passed. And many heresies that are coming in the church today concerning prophecies is always the timing is wrong. The event is right, Christ will come back, but people try to put dates or all kinds of events that will happen before Christ comes. And we can solve it simply this way. If you have studied Revelation chapter 10, you know that this is uh, the chapter that proves that the Bible is a prophetic movement. And in the verse 5 and 6, it says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and, this, and the things that uh, therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. The time no longer mentioned here, just a quick, uh, I don't know if I studied this chapter or not, is referring to uh, the end of the 2300 prophecies. So it's referring to the date of uh, 1844. There should be time no longer. No more prophecy time after 1844. Why do we know that? Because if you read the, the other verses, the angel asked John to go and prophesy again. So he needs time to prophesy. So we know it's not talking about literal time, but it's talking about prophetic time. And the other reason is that this is taking place at the sixth trumpet, and the seventh trumpet has not sounded yet. So there's more time uh, available to preach the gospel. All right? So what we know is that since uh, 1844, there's no more prophetic clock. There's no more prophecies with date after 1844. So whatever theory that pe people can bring, saying that uh, I don't know what the Bible says that something happened in 2015, you know that it's not true because this was the last prophecy with dates mentioned in the Bible. No more time after this one. Okay. How should we react uh, when we see heresy coming in. Uh, what what uh, apostasy or this heresy produce is that uh, it's shaking people out of the church because it's bringing division, it's bringing all kinds of controversies, all kinds of discussions. Some people feel frustrated and they leave the church. Okay? But we should stay. We should stay in the church. Let's look at the, at the counsel that Paul gives concerning that. So in the book of Acts, Paul knew that this kind of thing would happen. He said, take heed thereof unto yourself and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made uh, you overseers, to feed the church of God which had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolf enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Okay. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul is mentioning here apostasy that it will come after his departure, but he is not counseling people to leave the church, but he's saying uh, to people to, um, to stay in the church and to remember what he said. So are those who are encouraging uh, people to separate from the church and call the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church Babylon is going uh, in total opposition to what Paul is saying here. God is allowing some heresy to come into the church so that we may experience a, have a deeper experience with God in Bible study and in prayer. 
because as I told you in the beginning, I never studied the Jewish feast before that man, that, uh, that, that friend, in fact, came and told him that we should do it. So when heresy comes, it forces us to go back to the word of God. Last day events, page uh, 177 said, when the shaking comes by the introduction of false theories, these surface readers anchored nowhere are like shifting sand. They slide into any position to suit the tenor of their feelings of bitterness. Testimonies to the ministers. So the shaking comes, which way? But in the introduction of false theories. So God allows false theories to come in to produce the shaking. This is why we have to study the Bible. We have to have deeper experience with God as soon as we, have, we see an heresy coming in. Uh, Satan also wants to bring... Uh, confusion in the church so that to distract us from our mission. This is the, his main purpose, to distract us from a mission, to minimize the importance of the three angels' messages. While you are fighting over all these issues, we are not doing what we are supposed to do. And he's also preparing the apostasy in the church because he has the main uh, lie that he wants people to believe in. In the book of Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 3, it says... Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man uh, of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So he also, he's preparing his ultimate uh, deception. Now I underline the son of perdition, talking about the apostasy, because in the book of John, and that's the only other place in the Bible when you find the same expression. John 17, verse 12 says, While uh, I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I've kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. Talking about Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Uh, so the, the, the parallel that I wanted to make here is that the son of perdition, which is bringing the apostasy, is the same, the same character, characteristics as Judas. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the performing of Satan at the end time comes with all kind of power and signs, and lying wonders. Those expressions are used in the book of Acts only one time in the Bible to talk about Jesus. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. And uh, verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So these many little deceptions have one purpose, destruction and also preparing people to accept the ultimate deception, which is this coming after the working of Satan. Or if you read uh, the writing of Ellen White concerning this uh, passage, it's uh, referring to Satan that will imitate the second coming of Jesus. So by preparing people are taking all kind of experiences based on the feelings instead of the word of God, all kind of uh, heresy, all kind of destruction. Ultimately, what it leads to is to accept this ultimate deception. And finally, uh, yes, I end with this question. Will we stand firm no matter what heresy comes on our way? Because this is the question we have to ask ourselves. As, as we said, the only purpose of the, of the devil is to distract us from what we, we should do. So when heresy comes, comes in and we have to fight with those people, with those, which, which are bring those false doctrines, we will have to take a decision. Do I stay in the church? and I face what is happening, or do I leave the church because I don't want to deal with this? 
is it worth it for me to stay even though I will feel uncomfortable? Or is it better to find another place where I will be comfortable and not have to deal with difficult doctrines? Because that's the purpose, remember, is to shake the, sh the church so that people that are not solid, they are shook out of the church. So it's not, I can say it's not really a good news, but if we are not deep stud uh, uh, students of the Bible, there's no way we can stand what is going to happen. But we have uh, good news here in the book Last Day's Events, page 180. And it says this, the church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall. It remains. While the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the shaft separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless, it must take place. But if we don't believe, if we have doubts concerning the integrity of the writing of Ellen White, how can we be sure that the church may appear as about to fall, but it will not fall? For the moment, I don't think that the church appears that it, that it will fall. But when I read this statement, it shows clearly that it will happen. What will we do then? Will we stay, take our Bibles, study, ex have this deeper experience with God? Or will we choose what's easier, just leave and go where we don't have to deal with that? I've not experienced apostasy on a church scale, but personally with many individuals it happened. And a lot of them, same result, they end up leaving the church all the time. They always end up leaving the church from what I've, uh, what I, what I've seen for the moment. So uh, this was the apostasy, the omega of apostasy, declining Christianity. Uh, I ask you to bow your heads once again and we will pray to end uh, the study. Our Father in heaven, uh, it's not it's not your, let's say, of what you desire the most that we have to face those things. But because you are so uh, powerful, even the attempts of the devil to destroy your church or to destroy people in the church, you can turn, you can turn those situations into a good situation for the church. You knew uh, that that would happen, and you prepared us in your word you are asking us to be a deep students of the world, to be diligent students of the world, to be focused on the mission. So uh, each time we have to face an heresy, uh, we know how to deal with it, and we know that uh, it's only uh, temporarily, and it's only a distraction of the devil, and that the church will stay firm because you, are, you have control of the church and not the devil. So please... Uh, Encourage us, uh, thanking us as we, uh, as we may face uh, the, those situations in the future uh, so that uh, we will be a good witnesses for you and that the proclaiming of the gospel will not be stopped no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.